بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Very soon we will begin the fasts of the month of Ramadan We are all aware of the religious rewards and the virtues of both the month of Ramadan and the pillar of fasting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu kutiba alaykum al-siyamu kama kutiba ala al-ladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon O believers, fasting has been prescribed for you as it was ordained for those who came before you la'allakum tattaqoon perhaps you may attain taqwa The relevance of this verse to today's discussion about the benefits of fasting is twofold. One, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that fasting has been prescribed for you, but you are not unique. Fasting has a tradition which stretches back to the very beginning. And... All cultures, all religions, all peoples have fasted. So this isn't anything new. The details may vary, but throughout history, people have always fasted. And in fact, their fasts were often far longer and far more difficult than the fasts that we are accustomed to. What that tells us is that fasting is not alien to the human body. And it's not impossible, it's not even very difficult. Yes, for us, since we are so accustomed to eating all the time and grazing, eating all day long, we may find the thought of fasting unbearable, initially at least. And we may find the whole task to be very daunting, fasting every single day for the whole month of Ramadan, especially in the summer months in Northern Europe where we are because of the late sunsets and early sunrise and early dawn. 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, just a short while after this verse, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ Allah wishes ease for you, Allah does not wish difficulty for you. And although Allah mentions that in the context of concessions, so the previous word, the, the previous sentence is about concessions for those who are ill or who are traveling. So the obligation of fasting on that particular day of Ramadan is waived. And the fasting or the ill person can postpone the fast and keep it at a later date when they aren't travelling or for the ill person when they are fit and healthy enough to do so. So in this context, Allah mentions that Allah has granted you this concession because ultimately Allah does not wish difficulty for you. Allah wishes ease for you. But what that verse also tells us is that if Allah gives us concessions for the ill person, for the traveller, because Allah does not wish difficulty, and Allah merely wishes ease and comfort, then what of the original obligation of fasting? Is there difficulty in there? Isn't that extremely difficult? Where's the ease and the comfort and the simplicity in the original obligation of fasting. If Allah has granted us a concession for the ill and for the traveller, in view of providing, in view of making and create, in view of creating ease and comfort, then where's the ease and comfort in the original obligation of fasting for those who aren't ill and for those who aren't travelling? So what that verse tells us that no, in reality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes ease and comfort for us. And that's in both the original obligation and the concession. So how are we to understand the simplicity, the ease and the comfort in fasting itself? Well, this verse tells us that fasting has been prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those who came before you. So there's been a tradition throughout history in all religions, all faiths, all cultures, all peoples of fasting. The other thing that this verse tells us is, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa. Now, fasting has rewards in the hereafter, and it has religious virtues, but I won't speak of them today. Today, inshallah, I'll focus on just the benefits of fasting. And there are many benefits. There are spiritual benefits. There are emotional benefits, mental benefits, physical benefits, especially in terms of health, and also practical benefits. So one of the Spiritual benefits is لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ In the hope that you may attain taqwa. The acquisition of taqwa, the creation and development of taqwa through fasting, is not actually a reward per se in the hereafter. It's a practical, acquired, spiritual benefit which results from fasting. So what exactly is taqwa? In short, taqwa is the consciousness 
and the awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in various degrees. And the greater a person's taqwa, the greater a person's consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more a person is aware of Allah, conscious of Allah, the more pious, the more disciplined, the more patient, the more self-composed, the more self-aware a person becomes, the more spiritually elevated a person becomes. And especially in this day and age when we have such an interest in mindfulness, in self-development, in self-awareness, in higher consciousness, in spirituality without religion, in tapping into the spiritual world, well, fasting actually achieves all of that. It creates self-awareness, that consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it achieves so much spiritually. So, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ The primary benefit of of fasting is taqwa. And taqwa isn't a reward in, in the hereafter. It's not just an ajr or thawab or a virtue related to the hereafter. It's a practical spiritual benefit which results from fasting, especially higher consciousness. The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith describes fasting as a shield. He says in the hadith, parts of a hadith related to Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others, that fasting is a shield. Again, this ties into perhaps you may attain taqwa. Fasting is a shield. It, it's a shield in that it protects a person from the displeasure of Allah from the disobedience of Allah. Fasting is a shield in so many ways that it actually prevents a person from sinning. It makes a person patient. It makes them much more composed and controlled. And like I said, today I wish to focus on the practical benefits rather than the religious rewards. So we can see the practical benefits of fasting in the month of Ramadan. And that reveals so much. There are many people who are addicted to smoking. And yet, in normal days, out of Ramadan, those who are addicted to smoking find it very difficult to stay away from cigarettes. To the extent that they'll abstain from food. They won't be too worried if they can't get food at a given time. But regularly, they will light up a cigarette throughout the day. And some people who are addicted smoke up to 20, 40 a day. And at regular intervals. But the same people, when it comes to the month of Ramadan, and normally... They convince themselves or they justify their behavior to others with the words that I'm addicted, I can't help it. It helps me relieve myself of stress and of worries. I'm anxious and this 
alleviates my anxiety. So those who are addicted to smoking, or think they are addicted to smoking, they justify their addiction and their habit by saying that it's almost a necessity. Yet the same people, as soon as the month of Ramadan arrives, and they're actually fasting, aware that smoking is forbidden during the fast, they are able to function normally throughout the day. For so many hours. Just as they abstain from food and drink, they're also abstain from smoking. And all the fears that they normally have, all the anxiety, the anxieties, the fears, the supposed withdrawal symptoms, none of these appear throughout the day. Yes, initially, maybe for the first few hours, one has withdrawal symptoms. But that's the same with food and drink. But then afterwards... As soon as a person gets into the routine, it's extremely easy. So one of the practical benefits of the words of Rasulullah Jannah, that fasting is a shield, in that it's, it's, a, it's a mechanism for preventing so many things. It's a mechanism for protection. A person can protect oneself. And that means being able to kick habits and supposed addictions whilst fasting, especially in the month of Ramadan. And a person just has to develop that mental rigor, resolve and determination to dispense with this habit once and for all. Because we can see for ourselves that it's achievable, it's attainable, it's doable. If you can spend the whole month during daylight hours, for up to 16, 18, and in some cases even 20, 21 hours, during the fast, without smoking once, then, and without suffering the supposed withdrawal symptoms, then surely it can be done out of Ramadan as well, and when not fasting. So, as-siyamu jannah, fasting is a shield. And it's a shield not only from the disobedience of Allah, Against the disobedience of Allah. It's a protection from the displeasure of Allah, from the disobedience of Allah, and also from undesirable things. Regardless of whether they are haram or lawful and reprehensible, as long as they are undesirable and they're not good for the person's mind and body and health, yet a person keeps on repeating these behaviours, fasting through some amazing mechanism helps a person develop a resistance to these undesirable habits. And as long as that person has that resolve and determination, they can dispense with the habits and kick it altogether. So this is one of the practical benefits of of fasting. Perhaps you may attain taqwa. And in the same light, the Prophet ﷺ says, وَصِيَامُ جُنَّةِ And fasting is a shield. It helps protect a person from all of these things. Furthermore, speaking about 
when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that yuridullahu bikumul yusra wa la yuridu usr fasting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes ease for you Allah does not wish difficulty for you and as I've just explained that this is originally to do with the concession for the ill and for the ill people and for those who are traveling but if Allah wishes ease and comfort for us and he gives us concessions as a result then surely there must be ease and comfort and simplicity in the original obligation of fasting itself and there is we find it so difficult because we are so accustomed to eating, gorging on food, grazing all day long. And traditionally, even a century ago, this wasn't the case. People didn't have refrigerators and pantries as we know them. People would eat at fixed times. In fact, during the time of the Prophet wasallam, one only has to look at his example. anhum. They narrate many ahadith about the Prophet wasallam's eating habits. One, one of them, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha anha, says that the Prophet wasallam never ever filled himself with barley. He never ate to his fill from barley for two days in a row till the day he passed away. So if he ever ate barley, he would eat it once in two days. And even then, he would never eat to his fill. From another narration, we learn from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that he never ate to his fill from barley and meat in one meal. So even if he had barley, bread and meat, he would not eat to his fill. In another narration, we learn that the Prophet wasallam never ate to his fill from wheat three days in a row. And there are many of the ahadith. Prophet ﷺ would eat very little. And one of his most beautiful words of advice, which undoubtedly he practiced himself and which he has prescribed for the ummah. And before I explain, what's the relevance to fasting? See, ultimately, fasting is not eating. And we need to Throughout history, poets, philosophers, well, maybe not so much poets, but philosophers, doctors, and most importantly, the prophets of Allah, have always encouraged reduction in consumption of food, prolonging the time between meals so that one is in a fasted state and not in a fed state. And regular fasting, fasting as much as possible. The Prophet Dawood alayhi salam, he used to fast one day and then not fast the second day. And then fast again and then not fast the... So one day fasting, one day feeding. And even during the feeding days, they would eat very little. Just like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 
So Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says in this hadith recorded, related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbalin, Muslim Imam Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah and others, very beautiful hadith, that the, and before I relate the hadith, let me relate a story to you. I heard from one of the ulama, one of the Arab ulama, a story, and it may have, it must have been to do with the 60s or 70s, because this alim, I heard the recording, and he, he's passed away, rahimahullah, and he relate, that, if I recall, this speech was in the 70s or early 80s, so it was quite some time ago. And he says that he was told by an Arab medical student who had travelled from the Middle East to Germany. And whilst training, the, there was a famous surgeon who took him to his theatre. And this was the first time this medical student was accompanying this famous surgeon to the theatre. And right above the double doors at the entrance of the theatre, there was this saying. And the Arab students recognised it immediately. So he said, what's this and where did you get this from? So the German surgeon said to him that I've put this over the doors of the theatre because I tell everyone that if someone practices this, they will never have to go into a surgical theatre. Never. So he said, where did you get this from? So he said, I found it. It's a beautiful saying. All medicine is in here. So he said, do you know this is a saying of our Prophet Muhammad, and this is the hadith. So it's related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbalin's Musnad Imam Tirmidhi ibn Majah in their Sunan. Prophet says, Man has never filled a container worse than his stomach. Man has never filled a container worse than his stomach. It is sufficient for man to eat a few morsels, yuqimna sulbah, which straighten his back. But if he insists on eating more, then then at least he should have one-third for his food, one-third for water, and one-third for air. So, subhanAllah, man has never filled a container worse than his stomach. It is sufficient for him to eat just a few morsels that straighten his back. And the meaning of straighten his back is that traditionally, those who starved, and not starved how we feel one hour after breakfast, but those who would genuinely starve and be deprived of food involuntarily, then many of them would develop physical deformities in the long term, but even in the short term, the Arabs would actually notice this, that they would, become, they would hunch forward and their backs would be bent. And this is why you may have heard that the Arabs would tie stum- stones to their stomachs. Why would they tie stones to their stomachs 
if they were hungry, we've heard about the Prophet وسلم, during the time of Ghazwat al-Khandaq and other Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, why would they tie stones or rocks to their stomachs? This would be to straighten themselves. It wouldn't be to relieve hunger per se. It wouldn't be to press their stomachs in. Rather, well, it would be in order to straighten themselves. So the Prophet wasallam says that if a man, in, if it is sufficient for man to eat a few morsels that are enough for him to straighten his back, so that he doesn't become hunched out of severe hunger. That's all. But if he must eat, and if he insists on eating more, then the most he should do is one-third of his stomach, one-third of that container for food. So he shouldn't eat till he's about to burst. He shouldn't eat to his fill. He shouldn't eat to 80% of his fill, or even 50%, but for food, only 33%, one-third. Then one-third for water and Water and one third empty. This is what he should do. So it's a beautiful hadith of Rasulullah. It's what he's prescribed for his ummah, and undoubtedly he practiced it himself. So on the days when he would eat, this is how he would eat. That's when food was available. And on the days when he would fast, it was a sunnah of Rasulullah. To fast regularly But he used to fast in such a way It was quite miraculous The Sahaba radiallahu anhum say That apart from Ramadan Whenever we would see the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Those who wanted to see him fast We would never wish That he is fasting Except that he would be fasting And we would never want to find him Not fasting Except that we would discover that he isn't fasting so he would fast for days. Then he would break his fast and not fast for days. Then he would fast again for days. He would stop fasting again for days. So this was the routine of the Prophet wasallam. And indeed, this was a case with the Prophets of Allah wasallam. Now, we are so... I was saying earlier on that we find... The idea of fasting so difficult, and especially in the summer months, we we're always moaning and complaining, and counting the hours, and looking for fatwas to possibly reduce the number of hours. That's because we are so accustomed to eating and grazing all the time, and this was never the case before. People wouldn't eat six, five, six times a day, nor would they eat three times a day. The Arabs, and this is why I began explaining the hadith of Rasulullah the Arabs in general, they only had, they wouldn't normally have what we call breakfast, fatur. In fact, uh, you may recall when I explained the ahadith of Zamzam from Sahih al-Bukhari some time ago, that the Quraysh, this is even before Islam, 
the people of Makkah, they would have breakfast. You know what their breakfast was? Zamzam. They used to come to the well of Zamzam and they used to drink Zamzam. This is even before Islam. The Quraysh, the Arabs of Mecca, would drink the water of Zamzam to their fill as a first thing in the morning. That was their breakfast. So they never really had what we call breakfast. They had two main meals, Ghada and Asha. And strictly speaking, Ghada is any meal before midday. And Asha is any meal after midday. So it's not necessary that you would be at night. So any meal after midday would be known as supper Asha, and any meal before midday would be known as Ghada. And these are the two meals they would eat. So, and again, this was on good days. Otherwise, normally, they'd suffice with one or the other. And this is when they weren't fasting. When they were fasting, then, and doubt, even then, they wouldn't just switch their timings. Unfortunately, what do we do in the month of Ramadan? Out of Ramadan, we have three square meals during the day. And out of Ramadan, we have three square meals at night, during the night. So all we're doing is just flipping day to night. And for the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba ﷺ, some of them, they would actually fast. And at iftar, they used to have dates and water and nothing else. They wouldn't eat anything all night long. For sahur, dates and water. And that's it. And this is another thing. We, we, we always believe that dates are good. Of course dates are good, undoubtedly. But in isolation, the Prophet ﷺ used to eat dates. The Sahaba used to eat dates. Indeed. But we have to realize that they would eat dates and not much else. Umul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says that in the hadith of Bukhari for two whole months the fire in the hearth of the home of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa would not be lit because there was nothing to cook. We used to survive on dates and water that's for two whole months. And only occasionally if one of the neighbours gave milk as a gift we would have milk. Occasionally. So every day dates and water. Water and dates, occasionally milk, no other food, and that was for two whole months. So, dates, yes, they're good, but again, in moderation. And the Sahaba anhum used to eat them, even if they did excessively, in isolation. So, without the other foods, mashallah, we have all that we have, and then we grab a few dates and say sunnah. <laughs> Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi, it's related of him that he was so focused on searching for a hadith that he was studying hadith all night long and absentmindedly eating from baskets of dates. And by morning he passed away. And many say that he died as a result of, of course, I mean, it's the qadr of Allah, but as a sabab, as a cause, it was the overconsumption of dates. So even on the days of fasting, for many, 
It wouldn't be a square meal at iftar and then food again and again throughout the night and then sahur. It would be dates and water for iftar and dates and water for sahur. They would not eat much. And the Prophet ﷺ practiced this, he prescribed this to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And this is what he has prescribed for this ummah too. It's because many of the ills come from eating. And this is why we find these fasts so difficult, because we're so accustomed to eating and grazing all day long. Otherwise, once a person gets into the routine, it's, it's not that difficult. And further proof of that is that in the past few years, fasting has become a craze and a real trend, especially amongst health-conscious people. And it's not just another diet. And this is one of the practical benefits of fasting. Anyone who's looked into dieting, tried to lose weight, tried to eat healthily, the amount of information out there is utterly confusing. And even the experts are divided. So you find all kinds of diets. High carb, low fat, low protein, low fat, low carb, high protein, low carb, low protein, high fat. You have the grapefruit diet where people used to have nothing but grapefruits, the tomato soup diet, soups, all. There are a million and one diets. And you have experts advocating this diet, that diet. The best diet is no food. Simple. No confusion whatsoever. Should I eat this? Shouldn't I eat this? How much of this? No calorie counting, no measuring, no waiting, no tables, no apps, nothing. You save yourselves a few hours cooking, researching, buying, purchasing, searching, and eating. Instead, no food. And it's extremely easy once a person gets into the habit. And as I, as I was saying, it's become a real trend. And people are really reaping the benefits. It's because fasting has a tradition. People have always fasted. It's the best medicine. It really is the best medicine. Anyone who's had pets, and if a pet becomes ill, normally these pets are voracious eaters. But when they become ill, even when the pet's owners insist on feeding them, they refuse to eat. They refuse to eat. And one of the reasons is that even animals, even cats and dogs, instinctively begin fasting as soon as their body goes out of balance. When a, when a, when a pet feels ill, or even animals in the wilderness... They have no national health services in the wilderness. They live healthily till as long as they are destined. They are not artificially sustained where they are living corpses. Once their time has expired, they depart. But prior to that, they live healthily. 
And even when they do fall ill, they instinctively fast. They won't eat. They actually undergo days of fasting. And that's by instinct. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed shifa in siyam. Allah has placed cure in fasting. It's good for the body, it's good for the mind, it's good for the spirit. As I was saying, part of this trend of fasting, you have lots of people now who fast and they do so for the practical, physical benefits even though they aren't even Muslim. Bodybuilders do it. They actually, now bodybuilders have started fasting right before competitions. Athletes have started doing it. So they, many athletes have now dispensed with the old idea of feeding themselves before the endurance exercises. Rather, they fast and then they train whilst fasting and they actually perform whilst fasting. In fact, uh, there was something quite interesting that happened. When in the football tournaments, world football tournaments, stretching back many decades now, others noted that many of the Muslim teams, even during the month of Ramadan, they would be fasting. They would play whilst fasting. And this raised the question amongst many of the researchers and scientists that is their performance impacted in any way whilst fasting? So they did many, many tests, including on footballers and Muslim athletes, who were fasting during the month of Ramadan. And ultimately they discovered, it's not a question about winning or losing, that's dependent on other skills and other things, but was their performance affected negatively whilst fasting? What they discovered is that there was absolutely no difference whatsoever in terms of negative performance between those who were fasting and those who weren't. If anything, now the trend is that people have started performing and training and exercising whilst fasting. And it's doable. We have this mental block that it's difficult, it's difficult. But not so. I've mentioned quite a few times that one of the first times I <laughs> learnt about this was I was listening to an interview, it was a podcast between two individuals. They're both old, meaning they're not very young, but uh, I'm sure one of them is in his 50s now. And the other interviewer, they were both asking each other how their week had gone. And one of them said to the other, so how has your week been? So he said, yes, because... They, this person who, at that time, I think, was 50, and this was some time ago, probably in his 50s now, he was extremely overweight. He was suffering from diabetes, full-blown diabetes in his own words. He had other health conditions, and most of his health markers were, ne- were in the red. So he had high cholesterol, he had high blood pressure, he was suffering from full-blown diabetes, he was actually on diabetic medication, and he suffered from a number of other health conditions. 
But he started fasting. And so the, his, the interviewer asked him, that, how was your past week? And he, say, he said, it was fine. He said, yesterday I finished my 11-day fast. So he had fasted for 11 days. Water only. All he would have is just water. No solid food. In fact, no other food. No soups, nothing. Just water and no other food for 11 days. And he lives in a hot country. And he says, to finish off my fast yesterday afternoon, I went out for a 100-kilometer bike ride. And then I came home and broke my fast. So he fasted for 11 days, and then he went for a 100 kilometer, that's 60 miles, bike ride. And then he came home and had his iftar. And it definitely wasn't samosas. So it's doable. And he's been doing this for some time. And the result, even though he was on diabetic medication, he had all these health conditions, he's reversed his diabetes. All his health markers, which were in the red with warning signs, are all healthy. All his health markers are good. No blood pressure, no heart condition, no cholesterol, no blood sugar, no diabetes. And he's just one. I'm just giving the example of one person. And now lots of doctors across the world are prescribing fasting. Those who are bold enough to do so, those who are willing to break with convention, they are, and are bold enough, they are prescribing fasting, of course, under monitoring for their patients. No other medication, just fasting. Fasting reverses diabetes. And it has so many health benefits. It lowers insulin. It's, it's a real cure. It's a real preventive measure. And traditionally, this is what people believed. Many ulama in the past, Muslim ulama, when they would, when people would go to them just seeking religious advice, or maybe dua, because they were suffering from a health condition, and they'd been to doctors, they'd been to hospitals, and the problem was never solved. solved. Many ulama in the past would tell them, fast. And as a result of fasting, many people, their medical problems just disappeared. Or that particular medical condition. So Allah has placed shifa in siyam. Allah has placed shifa in fasting. But if it's done properly, which is as little, uh, either the proper shari'i fast between dawn till sunset, and then during the night hours, eating sensibly and responsibly, or a non-shari'i fast, meaning where a person fasts without any intention of fasting and just abstains from food but has water. And that can be done for many days, many, many days. So this fear of fasting that we have, it's, it's ill-placed, it's irrational. And it's not just about Muslims. In fact, until this fasting became a fashion and a trend, others would frown upon the concept of fasting in Ramadan. And 
we would hear comments, read comments such as, why does a god want his people to starve as an act of worship and devotion to him? What benefit is there in remaining hungry and thirsty? It's risky, it's dangerous, but it's not dangerous at all. In 1965 in Scotland, there was someone who was extremely overweight and something like 480 pounds was his weight. 480 pounds. And he was young as well, in his 20s. He went to hospital and one of the doctors made an off-the-cuff remark. Because he saw his condition and he said to him, Maybe you should just fast. So it was actually an off-the-cuff remark. So maybe you should just fast. Because look how serious your condition is. He took it quite personally. But he took it on board. And he agreed not to eat or drink anything. And he agreed to come to the hospital to be monitored. And he actually did it. And do you know how long he managed to go without food? Every day, all he would have is water and vitamins. The doctors at least gave him some vitamins. But without food, any food whatsoever, just water and vitamins. And this is someone who weighed close to 500 pounds. He went without food and survived just on water for 13 months. 382 days. And he had no, no problems whatsoever. In fact, many of his illnesses disappeared. And undoubtedly, he looked a different person altogether. So it's possible, it's doable. People now fast for days on the end. For no religious reason, just for health, for mental clarity, for spiritual benefits, non-religious spiritual benefits, for emotional benefits, for practical benefits, and even to sharpen their minds, as I was mentioning recently, in Silicon Valley in California. There's a new craze now amongst programmers and these new tech startups where there's a lot of competition. Everyone wants an edge over their competitors. So to gain that edge, they've learned that fasting sharpens the mind. So they've started fasting. Not for 16 hours, but for days on end. And now they actually compete with each other to see who's fasted the longest. 7 days, 10 days, 11 days, 15 days. Without any solid food whatsoever. Just water. And... Indeed, we feel that there's this discussion. I'm, look, I'm not prescribing anything medically. Go, make sure you consult your doctors and your health professionals. This is just, uh, I'm just sharing my thoughts. But there's this whole discussion about exams. What happens with exams in the month of Ramadan? Pythagoras, the famous Greek mathematician, and philosopher, he wanted to take an exam 
in the University of Alexandria. And he fasted for that exam. Do you know for how long? 40 days. So for the exam, he fasted for 40 days. Socrates, Plato, and many of the others, they had a regular routine of fasting for 10 days. Not for health benefits, because they were very cautious when it came to food anyway. Because they were philosophers and poets who would never indulge in food or gluttony. So they were healthy physically anyway. But merely to... They were already sharp. But to sharpen their minds even further and to gain even more clarity, they would fast regularly for 10 days. Pythagoras did it to enter an exam. And later, when he started having a large growing body of students, he had a condition. Nobody could study with him unless they fasted for 40 days first. So to enroll in his classes, if we had that, you wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here. But to enroll in his classes... People had to study for 40 days. Students had to complete a 40-day fast, not study, they had to complete a 40-day fast, then they were allowed to study with him. So fasting sharpens the mind. It creates clarity. Why are we then so dull during the fast? A lot of it is mental. It's all in the mind. We've programmed ourselves, we've conditioned ourselves to feel that if I fast, I'm going to be lethargic, I'm going to be sleepy, I'm going to be drowsy, dull, my mental faculties are going to suffer, I'm going to be weak. SubhanAllah. As Muslims, we fast and we are drowsy and dreary. And non-Muslims are fasting without any intention of religion or reward, and they're going for 60 mile, 100 mile bike ride. Whilst fasting, no food, no drink. So it's possible. We've conditioned and programmed ourselves to believe otherwise. Allah has placed preventive medicine in fasting, a cure and shifa in fasting. It creates spiritual benefits, physical benefits, clarity of mind, clarity of spirit. It actually elevates a person's emotions. When a person fasts for some time, endorphins are released in the brain, and a person actually begins to feel better. This is as long as we allow fasting to take its course and believe in it, rather than programming ourselves beforehand, 16 hours, 18 hours, it's impossible. I can't do it. It's hard. I'm going to feel sleepy. I need my coffee. I need my tea. I need my caffeine. The truth is we don't need any of this. And as the Prophet ﷺ showed through practice, in fact, we know that coffee was... First, it was discovered in Ethiopia. That wasn't, uh, not during the time of the Sahaba anhum, or the Prophet wasallam, but many centuries later, it was discovered in Ethiopia. But it actually came into popular use. It was discovered accidentally in Ethiopia. 
because the farmers, these shepherds, they noticed their sheep were quite high. So they followed them to these bushes that they would always go to and they realised that they were eating the coffee beans. But it became popular in Yemen, which is just across the Strait of Aden, and it became popular amongst Yemeni worshippers who used to have coffee and stay awake all night long. But that's that. But subhanAllah, have you ever wondered during the t- before then, how did most of the world wake up in the morning and spend their whole day without tea, without coffee, without caffeine? <clears throat> they were fully alert. We don't actually need it. It's good. We don't need it. We've programmed and conditioned ourselves to believe that we need caffeine to wake up in the morning, to remain awake during the day. We need food regularly to keep us going, otherwise we will be dull and dim and lacking alertness and consciousness. We'll be half asleep and drowsy. We will be hungry and we will be weak. We won't be able to do anything. All of this is in the mind. And this is why we think Allah says, Allah wishes ease for you. Allah does not wish difficulty for you. And we think that fasting is hard. And it's actually taken others who don't believe in the virtues and the rewards of fasting to demonstrate to us now that it's not difficult at all. In fact, we are doing it. Others are saying that we do it to such an extent that we fast and we bodybuild, we fast and we train, we fast and we run marathons, we fast and we cycle for hundreds of miles, we fast and we train, and we fast for days on end, and we're able to continue with our normal daily work. So that just shows that when Allah says, Allah wishes ease for you, Allah does not wish difficulty for you. That's ease in both the concession from fasting as well as in the original obligation of fasting. There are so many non-religious, non-meaning worldly benefits, practical, spiritual, emotional, mental, and of course physical. And there's lots of recent research about all of this. In fact, uh, I'm not going to say much about it, but even regarding cancer, one of the it's an area of research, although they're still researching it, that cancer cells, when cancer cells are deprived of glucose and of energy, and that's through fasting, they, they die. And so fasting has been practiced successfully by certain cancer patients of their own volition, and they've been able to beat and defeat their cancer. But doctors still won't prescribe it yet. But those who've done it of their own accord, they've actually recovered. And those who are undergoing chemotherapy, fasting whilst undergoing chemotherapy actually makes the chemotherapy extremely easy and bearable for them. So... 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed shifa in siyam, in fasting. And that's just, these are just some of the health, worldly, and practical benefits of fasting. But as Muslims, for those who believe in Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, of course one has to remember that these are secondary tertiary benefits, the primary purpose of fasting. And the intention should only be initially for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if someone wants to do it for health reasons, then you can actually do that as a non-shari'i fast, as I said, where you don't fast from dawn till sunset. Rather, you, you can actually just abstain from food and have a, a go on a water fast. That will achieve the same benefits, even if it's just water, without the risk of doing a shari'i religious fast, but for other motives and other intentions. I end with uh, just two verses of the Qur'an, as I mentioned earlier. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu kutiba alaykum as-siyamu kama kutiba ala ladheena min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. O believers, fasting has been prescribed for you as it was ordained for those who came before you. So that shows there's, there's a whole history. Fasting has been part of human history. Everyone has done it in varying ways. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa. And that's just the first spiritual benefit of fasting. And then there are all these other benefits. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ Allah wishes ease for you. Allah does not wish difficulty for you. And that ease and comfort and simplicity is in the concession of not fasting for the ill and traveller, travelling people, but if Allah wishes ease and comfort, of course Allah must have placed that simplicity and that ease and comfort in the original obligation of fasting itself. We believe otherwise that it's hard, it's difficult, it's not easy. Allah also says in the Quran, وَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا وَلَا تُسْرِفُوا إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ مُسْرِفِينَ Eat and drink and do not be extravagant. Do not go to extremes. Allah does not like those who are extravagant. And that means eat in moderation, drink in moderation, and don't go to excess. And that's actually in eating and drinking. Don't do israf in eating and drinking. Don't go to extremes. Don't be guilty of excess in eating and in drinking. And undoubtedly, in this day and age, with all the food we have at our disposal, we are often guilty of israf. And that's contrary to the verse of the Qur'an. We are guilty of israf if we go to excess and we indulge. And finally, that same beautiful hadith, related by Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal in his Musnad, and Ibn Majah, Tirmidhi in their son and others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, man has never filled a container worse than his stomach. It is sufficient for man to have just a few morsels that straighten his back. And if he must, then one third for his food, one third for his water, and one third for his air, his breathing. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the wisdom and the benefits of fasting. 
May Allah make us amongst those who follow in the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu Fasting actually regenerates the immune system. And it's a year-long program for optimum health for those who follow it according to the sunnah. The whole month of Ramadan, most of the month of Sha'ban, not all, but most. As Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, and the others relate, that he would never fast for the full month of any month except Ramadan. And the only month other than Ramadan when he would fast for almost the whole month would be Sha'ban. So the month of Ramadan, if possible, much of the month of Sha'ban in preparation for the coming month of Ramadan. And beyond that, the nafil fasts of the three middle lunar days, 13, 14, and 15, of the lunar days of each month, every Monday, every Thursday. In fact, uh, many of you may have heard of the 5-2 diet, which was popularized and ultimately written by Michael Mosley. And he first presented it in that BBC uh, program, Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. So in a separate interview, uh, he then developed this into the 5-2 diet, which became very popular. And he then, in a separate interview, he actually explained, he was asked that, this 5-2 diet, which means five days eating, two days supposed fasting. He recommended Monday and Thursday. So they said, why did you choose Monday and Thursday? And he, his words are, I took my inspiration from the Prophet Muhammad. Mm-hmm. So the whole month of Ramadan, much of the month of Sha'ban, three central lunar days of each lunar month, 13, 14, and 15, Monday and Thursday, the first, ten de- the first nine days of Dhul-Hijjah, Tasu'an Ashura, the ninth and tenth of Muharram. If someone just does these, they will enjoy optimum health as it is. And then there's also that alternate day fasting. And as I mentioned earlier, the best of all fasts are... As the Prophet sallallahu said, Sayyamu Dawood, the fasting of Dawood alayhi salam. How would Dawood alayhi salam fast? He'd eat one day, fast one day, eat one day, fast one day. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to appreciate the wisdom and the benefits of fasting. May Allah make us amongst those who are regular in their farad and their nafal fasts. And regardless of the religious reward and virtue, May Allah make us amongst those who are healthy as a mu'min should be. And may Allah enable us to exercise moderation in food, in drink, in consumption, in spending, in wealth. May Allah protect us from israf. May Allah enable us to act on that beautiful hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which as that German surgeon said, anyone who acts on this will never ever have to enter a surgical theatre. Wa sallallahu sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk.